talks about being diligent and rightly dividing the word. Amen. And it, it talks about being a vessel fit for the master's use. Uh, and they're all given in the context of difficulty. Amen. Everyone say that's super encouraging right out or right out the get go. Right. Um, you know, the, the scripture tells us and, and really the first verse that we come into in this chapter, chapter three here, it even it talks about perilous times will come. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, perilous times will come. You may not be in that moment now, but you will be in that moment at some point. Um, you know, uh, hours before his death, Jesus said in, in John chapter 16, verse 1, he, he said this. He said, I'm telling you, talking to his disciples, I believe also talking to us, so you won't get offended. That word offended there is, in the Greek is this word, the Greek word is scandalizo, and it's where we get our word scandalized. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm telling you all these things so you don't get scandalized, not, not wanting the disciples to be scandalized. Jesus told, the, uh, you know, told them that, hey, the religious community is going to come after you when you follow me. And, and he also said that, hey, when you follow me, political leaders will order your execution, how many know that it takes faith to stand on that? How many are grateful we live in a nation where we are free to worship like, like we want to? Amen. What, what a blessing that is. Uh, but, but Jesus said, know this. I'm going to, and he, he told him this, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, therefore, although in the present age you will experience a lot of difficulty from time to time, you will ultimately be blessed incredibly because you are going to heaven. How many is going to heaven? Amen. If you didn't raise your hand, amen, uh, these altars are open right now. Uh, you know, and it's interesting here in, in, at the end of his own life, Paul picks up the same theme and he warns Timothy of difficult days ahead. And, and Paul's about to die. He's in a Roman prison and uh, he's writing this letter to Timothy to encourage him. And uh, it's, it's and instead of whining and crying, nope, I'm going to encourage Timothy. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep proclaiming Jesus until they take my last breath and I can't do it anymore. So what he shares with Timothy is, is application for you and me tonight. Amen. So if you need a subheading for this, uh, is, is this right here, godlessness in the last days, godlessness in the last days. Uh, when we read this, I want, you to, I want you to do something. I want you to take note of everything that I read, and I want you to put in perspective our society, okay? So, so watch this. Uh, in chapter 3, it says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Um, I, Paul, knowing that his death was, was near, I believe Paul thought, uh, the, the rapture was imminent, that it was very close in his lifetime, uh, the way he preached it. I believe that even he, even though he knew he might die, but he thought maybe possibly after he passed away that the rapture would happen. What is the rapture? The taking up of the saints. And Paul talks about that in, in Thessalonians. Jesus talks about that coming back to receive us in John. So, uh, And I believe the rapture of the church will happen in my lifetime. How many are with me on that? All right. For a few of you who don't, that's all right, all right? Well, you may say this, well, Paul was wrong. You know, Paul thought that the rapture was going to take place in his lifetime, and, and, and it didn't happen in his lifetime, or it didn't even happen shortly after his death. As a matter of fact, Pastor, it's almost been 2,000 years since Paul died, and the rapture still hasn't happened. Um, and, and so you may, you may say that, and, just, and, and you may say, hey, Hey, you know, Pastor, why, why do you believe it will happen in your lifetime? If it didn't happen in Paul's lifetime, why do you think it would happen in your lifetime? Maybe you may say, hey, Pastor, you're foolish. And I'm like, okay, I'm okay with being a little bit foolish because I put my hope in Jesus. So, uh, you know, I, I, I look at some of the people throughout history who believe the rapture was imminent in their lifetime. How many know that there are many great men and women earnestly who have went before us who set a foundation of where we are today? So check this out. This is interesting to me. Those that went before us, they believed and they lived their life as if the rapture would take place in their lifetime. You know what they were doing? They were looking for the hope of Jesus. How many are looking for the hope of Jesus? Every day, every day I look for the hope of Jesus. 
you know, some of the some of the people that this would include that believed in their lifetime that the rapture would happen. Listen, this is a pretty, this is a very small list. I condensed this way down here. It could be a lot larger. Number one, the Apostle Paul. That's pretty good company to be in right there already, right? The Apostle Paul. How about this? Uh, uh, the disciples. How about this? Martin Luther, the great reformer. John Calvin, some of you are going, oh, I know these names. How about this guy? Charles Spurgeon, the prince of pastors, the, the, the great minister. How about Charles Finney? How about D.L. Moody? And all these great men of God believed that, that the Lord's coming was close at hand. So I don't know. When I look at a list like that, I'm like, put me on that list with those guys. Because they are they are proven. And, and, you know, and that's a small group, and there's many, many, many more. Um, but I choose to live my life looking for the coming of the Lord. And here's the deal. If I'm wrong, and even if he doesn't come back in my lifetime or another 500 years, I would rather go the rest of my days looking for Jesus' sudden appearing because I know that its effect that it has on my life in the present. When I think about Jesus coming, it changes a lot of the way we live. I know what it affects my life, uh, uh, and, 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 and I know what it will affect your life. So one's heart doesn't get discouraged or troubled as easily when you know that your hope is in Jesus Christ, and at any moment the Lord could take you out of here, right? So there's one thing. And another thing is this. One is not prone to sin repeatedly over and over and over when you know that the coming of the Lord could be at any given moment. All right, look at this, 1 John, I, I like what he says here uh, in, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, more 3 I want to focus on, but verses 2 and 3, it says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know, everyone say we know, that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Look at verse 3 right here. You know why I believe that we're coming out in the rapture right here. Verse 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as the pure, as he is pure. So it's the hope that I'm looking for. That hope keeps me going for Jesus. Amen. So if you want to live an exciting and a hopeful, fulfilling Christian life, how many want to live that life? An exciting, fulfilling, hopeful life? Listen, it's setting your hope on the Lord's coming. How many believe that something greater is coming? Amen. Verse 2 says this, for people, all right, here's our list. For people will be what? Lovers of self. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, you love yourself. So let me give you, uh, you know, we hear this all the time. Let me give you my truth. <clears throat> truth is not relative to you. Truth is the truth, whether you like it or don't like it. Truth is like gravity. I don't care if you disagree with gravity or not. If you jump off of that balcony, you're going to fall and hurt yourself. The truth is the truth. Amen? And, and so right is right, wrong is wrong. Boy, you don't hear that very often anymore, do you? Right is right and wrong is wrong. And, and, and our motives oftentimes can get wrong. So whether it agrees with my point of view or not, there's been times where I've had points of view and then the truth comes and I have to go, you know what? You're right and I am wrong. Some of you wives are nudging your husbands right now, right? And I said, you know, truth is like gravity. If, if, if you can lie about it all you want, it's not real. It's not real. It's not real. Jump off of, of a cliff, and I promise you'll find out that gravity is real. You know, here's the thing. I, I've learned this. People love themselves, right? And if we aren't careful, if we are not careful, listen to me, we can put ourselves as an idol before the Lord. Now, that's good teaching right there. <laughs> and I'm afraid many of us have made an idol of, of ourselves and, and even our, our own values of what we think and my opinion in this, putting themselves before the Lord. God said, there shall be no other God before him, and that includes myself. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, it says this, and Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So that that tells me this. I have to deny even my own self. And here's the first thing that we look at is that people will be lovers of themselves. How many could say, hey, I look around in our society and you see people who are lovers of themselves. It's, it's safe to say that, that many are deceived. So here's the next one. Lovers of themselves. The next, next bit of scripture says this. Lovers of money are proud. The King James Version says covetous. Lovers of money. Luke 16, 13 says no servant can serve two masters, right? For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, what? Serve God and mammon or money, however you want to translate it. And, and we know this, and, and it says this, that money is what? The root of all, not money, money isn't, the, isn't, isn't evil, but the root of evil. And, and so people will, will step on other people because they can get ahead career-wise. They'll, they'll push people down so they can, they can elevate themselves. How many have ever seen that? I don't care what it does to you as long as it fills my pockets and I get rich. It's why we have so many people that are deceived. And, and here's the thing. Those people that fill their pockets, it's a false security because it, it, it's, you know, money or wealth and power or whatever it is. But how many know that one, one slight turn in our economy and all that money can be nothing? At the end of the day, all that money can be nothing. So the King James Version says this, boasters or in the original Greek, boasters is this word alazon, uh, Greek word alazon, which speaks of uh, claim made by a quack. There's a lot of alazons out there right now, right? We hear a lot of people who, who say a lot of things, but, man, they're really just a quack, right? And I'm not talking about Donald Duck. How about this? Promising something but unable to deliver that which was promised. <clears throat> We're about to come into election season, right? <laughs> I'll just leave that right there. Okay. Promising something but unable to deliver that which was promised. Here's the next one. Proud. The sin of pride. What's in the middle of pride? Uh, we see people who walk in pride in our society all the time. Proverbs tells us that pride goes before what? Destruction. Pride goes before destruction. So if you're walking in pride, you're, you're going down a long road. Matter of fact, I, I found these two verses in Isaiah. I think this is beautiful. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 12 says this. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty. That means if you got pride in your heart, the Lord's got a day coming for you. It may not be right now, but it's coming against all that is lifted up, and it shall what? Be brought low. God says, oh, you think you're mighty? I'm going to bring you down. Isaiah 23, 9 says this, the Lord of hosts has uh, purposed it to defile the pompous pride of all glory to dishonor all the honor, uh, all the honored of the earth. So here's what, I, what I'll just tell you, encourage you. Watch out for pride and those who make it all about them. Here's the next bit of scripture. It says this, arrogant and abusive. How many know that we, we live in a society where there's a lot of arrogance? Maybe that's why we have a lot of quacks, people that tell you something that they can't deliver because they're arrogant because they know that people will follow and do what they say. Arrogant, I can do whatever I want because I'm in charge. How about this? Uh, abusive, the King James Version actually says uh, blasphemy. And the idea, ideal here is that blasphemy refers to those who use the Lord's name in vain. You know what appalls me so much when I'm walking in the store or I'm walking down the street and I hear people talking and I hear them use the Lord's name in vain and they say all these. How many know it, it, the vile talk that comes out of people's mouth in public blows my mind? There's been times where I'm like, I got I to gotta cover my kids' ears because somebody is just defiling the Lord's name. And how often do we do this? Do we watch TV and we hear the Lord's name being used in vain and, and not even get a, 
convicted or, or, or even offended by it. We've become so comfortable with it. Or, you know, or we walk down the street and people saying it. And, and so it says arrogant and, and abusive. So here's another one. How about this? Disobedient to their parents. Where are all the kids at? Maybe we should have brought them in here for this little bit of scripture right here. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Heartless. This is a tough list, huh? How many say, hey, this is a tough list right here. I, uh, you know, we can look in our society, we can see, we can see this. We see children walking in rebellion because uh, of being uh, taught to be lovers of themselves. I'm going to do what I want, mom and dad. I don't care what you expect me to do. It's all about what I, 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 me, me. You know what disobedience comes from? My will, my, what I want, not what you want. Come on, somebody. How about this? I mean, and, and, and it stems from this. Rather than, than it, they're all about themselves rather than what Jesus said. You know, love the Lord God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Esteem them just like you esteem yourself. Ooh, now, now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Here's, here's the next part after it talks about disobedient to their parents. It says ungrateful. Let me give you another word for that, unthankful. Right now, there is a, a war, a war on thankfulness. Listen to me. There's a war on thankfulness. How many know that we live in a free nation? You ought to be thankful that you live in a free nation. But right now, even, even now, if I was to say that, there are, there are groups of people who say, hey, you can't say that from, from the pulpit. You can't say that you're thankful that you live in a free nation because what you're doing is you're spreading nationalism or you're, you're pushing this envelope. Matter of fact, uh, there was a minister recently, and he, he had posted something about, I'm glad that I live in a free nation. Something, it was not, it was not over the top. It was not, uh, it was not crazy. And, and honestly, he had all these people come after him and just, just try to point him under the... Uh, you know, put him underneath the bus. And here's the thing, you know, we ought to be grateful that, that men and women have went before us and have allowed us to be here in a free nation, loving our God, serving our God. How many are thankful for that? How many are thankful for the food you ate today? How many are thankful for the bed that you have? How many are thankful for the home that you have? There isn't very many of us that, that do without in this building. I'm going to be honest with you. And so we, we, ought to be, we ought to be thankful. Everyone say thankful. All right. I know our nation's not perfect. I understand that. But, but we still need to be thankful for what God has done. There's an attack on us that if we show thankfulness that somehow we are wrong. I'm thankful for what God's done. I'm thankful for who he is to me. See, here's the thing. We, we, we celebrate sin. We uh, we celebrate lukewarm Christianity. And, and the next part of the scripture says this, uh, unholy. But God says this, be holy for I am what holy. That's not a ask, that's a command. What does that mean to be holy? To be without sin. That means that when you sin and you mess up, it ought to break your heart. It ought to tear you up inside because you're like, God, I... I blew it. I messed up. Oh, but here's the thing, you know, I, some of us say, hey, I can walk in, in, in freedom. Uh, you know, and, and, and here's the deal. How many believe that you can walk in freedom from sin? How many believe that you can walk above the reproach of sin? You know how you do that? Being led by the Spirit of God. Being led by the Word of God. If you want to be free from some things in your life, start reading your Bible on a regular basis. Start praying. Start asking the Lord to lead you. Matter of fact, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit lead you because He will edify you. He will lift you up, all right? So everyone say holy. All right, here's the next one. Um, it says heartless. How many believe that we live in a heartless society? Man, it seems like every day I see a news, uh, you know, some shooting, some random innocent victim on the side of the road wanting help and somebody killing them and stealing their car or whatever the case. And, and we live in such a heartless society that nobody cares about anybody else. I'm just worried about me and nothing else. The scripture tells us this, that the Canaanites... I'm going to touch a, a, a touchy subject right now, but listen to me. You need to hear my heart here. This is important. The Canaanites, they took their babies, and they would place them on the arms of the idol Moloch. 
And that was, they, they, there would be fire underneath that. And those arms were, were made of, of brass. And they would put their babies there and sacrifice them and burn them to Moloch. How many say that's, 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 a, that's appalling to hear? That's terrible to hear, right? Right? We talk about that. But we, we say that's heartless. And we say that's cruel. But yet we have a society that will push abortion. Come on now, I'm not talking politically here. I'm talking about life and death here. Uh, uh, you know, matter of fact, there was a politician recently who said this, that a baby's heartbeat is nothing more than something that humans created. God created that. The devil's a liar. Come on now. I'm talking about I'm talking about speaking truth. I'm talking about a heartless society. Listen, and if you've been in here and and you've made a mistake and you you, you had an abortion, listen, God gives you forgiveness. God God will God will forgive you for those things. But here's the thing: it's it's justifying death uh, of life because of a heart heartlessness and selfish selfishness. I know this is tough. I know this is tough. And I don't know about you, when I hear those things, I say, God, forgive us. God, forgive us as a nation. God, forgive us. God, please help us to be better. God, please give us uh, strength, Lord, to do the things that we need to do. Here's the next one right here. Unappeasable. Everyone say unappeasable. What does that mean? The King James Version says this, truce breakers. What does that mean? The ideal here is that, that people who make covenants ignore them. We see that a lot in society, right? Hey, I, I will, I will uh, make a vow. I'll make a covenant. The, the divorce rate is at an all-time high, right? People sign contracts, say, hey, I, I'll buy this house, and then, you know, for whatever reason, I can just default on it, and I can just do this. Listen, the Bible says let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. I'm, I'm trying to help you out here. I'm trying to help you out. Here's the next one right here. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal. So slander is, is this. That word slander is to assassinate someone's character with your words. It's what you're doing. When you're slandering somebody, uh, you, are, you are murdering them with your words. Can I tell you something? If you are in circles of gossip, you be where it stops. You know how to stop a gossip? When they start gossiping, they say, hey, hold that thought. Let's get so-and-so here, and then we'll discuss this situation. And you watch and see how people backtrack really fast. It's amazing. Slanderous. Uh, and here's, at times, I, I'm, I'm convicted at times. Listen, there's some times where I say things, um, you know, whatever. I'll give an example. If I say something about a politician and the Holy Spirit will stop me and say, Check yourself, TJ. You better check yourself, and I'll be like, God, you're right. Forgive me. God, help me. Help me. How about this? And here's the thing. If I, if I have self-control, if I have self-control in my life, I can control my tongue. Some of the best lessons I've ever learned is to not talk sometimes. How many's mouth has got them in trouble? How many knows your crocodile mouth has got above your tadpole tail? I've been there, right? And so self-control is this, self-control of your flesh. Oh, here we go. Not your tongue, but self-control over your flesh, which is lust, over your thoughts, over anger, over malice, and the list goes on and on. Romans 8.13 says this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Whoo. A pretty point, right? But check this out. Here's the flip side of that. The, the, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me to get this under control. Help me to get this under control. Help me every day through the Spirit of God. Self-control will keep the flesh under subjection. So here's the next one. Brutal. How many can say that our world is brutal? Um, uh, you know, I talked about this. We, there was a lady the other day I saw on the news. She was getting gas, and these guys, like, they were going to steal her car. They, they pulled up on the gas station, and, like, three or four guys get out of this van. And she did the best thing she could have done. It probably cost her $40, but she pulled out the gas thing and just started spraying them. Anybody see that? 
And they, they all got back in their car and ran. Probably cost her $40, but saved her life. We live in a brutal society. And our society, you know, there's not a lot of love from one person to another. Hmm. Here's the next one. Not loving good. Verse 4, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Um, people love pleasure. Um, but it's the love that only leads to, hey, uh, I've, I've done that, been there, done that, so now I need to go one step further, right? It's what, it's what it does. It's what, you know, I've heard people talk about this, and I heard this growing up, is, you know, lust of the flesh and pleasure of the flesh is, you know, if you keep feeding that fire, it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the thing about a fire is this, and I know this from last week because I burned up the hole out there, is if you keep putting wood on the fire, it will keep consuming what you throw on it. And if we will take control of those things and say, hey, God, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to control what I'm feeding to the fire so it doesn't get out of hand. I'm going to stop these things. So and this mentality leads to I need to do something bigger. I need to do something better. I need to go a little further. I need to go a little faster and higher in order to get some kind of thrill, right? When I was growing up, they always had those Mountain Dew commercials where people were jumping out of airplanes, skydiving, and drinking Mountain Dews. How many know what I'm talking about? Remember those? Thank you. You guys are all 40. All right. So, um, uh, you know, and, and, and you know, you want to do more. It's not enough I jumped out of an airplane, so now I need to jump out of an airplane riding a bike or, and ramping, a, you know, whatever. I, and it just get, you just got to go a little bit further and a little bit further, right? Next big thrill. It leads to the love of self, me. It's like a spoiled kid who always gets their way all the time. Nobody likes that kid, right? I'm just being real, right? I perhaps would be a little bit too real tonight. But the kid that always gets their way, and, and that's the way we are. God, I didn't get my way, Lord, I, I, so I'm just going to whine and I'm going to pout about it, right? And, and here's the thing. Those kids are taught that because a spoiled kid, it's all about them. Mom, Dad, I don't care what it costs you. I don't care how I embarrass you in the store. I want that piece of candy, and that's all that matters to me, right? So so goes us. I, I always get my way. I feel like it's what I want to do because that's what I want to do is more important than what you want me to do, Lord. Whew. Man, I know. This, this is tough. Uh, the love of self is rooted in pride. That's it, plain and simple. When, when Christ tells us to die to ourselves over and over again, be holy for I am holy, everyone look at your neighbor and say, hey, it's not about you. And verse 5 says this, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. So he's talked about the world and, and, and I mean, really here, but then he kind of he comes in here and he kind of turns the, the table here to maybe something that, you know, religious or, or, or churches or whatever you want to call it. So, and so he's saying this, you know, turn away from those, avoid such people. We are to turn away from those who are without natural affection, for those who despise things that, that are good, from those who love pleasure more than God. We're supposed to turn away from those things. But we are also supposed to turn away from people that have a form of godliness and an outward appearance but no reverence to God. Um, denying its power. You know, there are uh, groups who say, hey, you know, uh, you know, that look spiritual, right? But they deny uh, the power of God. And, and, you know, denying its power describes religious activity that is not connected to a relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, it's all for show. That's what it is. It's all for show. So what, how does that happen? Sometimes that happens through tradition. Listen, I'm not saying all tradition is bad, but sometimes traditions need to die. Sometimes traditions are golden calves that we create. We have to do this because this is what we've always done. And this, listen, sometimes those things need to die. They need to go, uh, you know, to the side. So, um, so what happens through tradition, through, through time, often, you know, religious activity, people will do activities not even realizing that they are empty just because it's my duty, it's what I'm supposed to do, right? 
Um, and this kind of religion, you know what the scripture says? It provokes God's anger. You have a form of godliness, but, but you know what? It, you know, it, it's, it's not all there. So it provokes God's anger. So uh, don't follow people who, who know nothing of the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of Jesus. There's a good, you want a good discernment rule right there? Follow somebody who is in tune with what the Holy Spirit's doing and, 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 and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So out of this list, I see how many, can, out of that list that we just read, how many can see all of these things being checked off? And how many would agree with me? We are in the last days. Verse 6 says this, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive whew, at a knowledge of the truth. So this, this is those who propagate a form of godliness, but not based on the resurrection. They creep around in neighborhoods looking for people who have time on their hands, to whom they can say, hey, I, I've got a new revelation. I've got something that you've never heard before. Let's, let, can we hold a class in your house? Can we, can we have a meeting? Can I share with you this interesting insight or esoteric uh, experience that I've had? And we see them, you know, offering things like this. Uh, you know, the Bible's good, but there's a new testament here, a new, another testament that you need. Or here's a magazine that you need to read. This is something that can help you or, or some kind of new experience. Look at this. Verse 7 says this. Is, this is interesting to me. I like verse 7. We are to be, uh, it says, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. So look, we are to be students of the word. How many could say, hey, I want to be a student of the word? I always want to be learning, but here's the key to that. Look at this, verse 7, learning, but as a, a, a student of the word, there are moments where I should arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Where, where just sometimes, how many remember in school, maybe you weren't good at, at math and, and, you know, or whatever, times tables. And then when it finally clicked, you're like, oh, I get how times tables work. You were like, whoo, I got it. I understand how it works. How many are with me on that? And was it just me? I could finally do a mad minute and finish it all in one time. Some of you know what I'm talking about. All my people over 40 probably, right? But anyways, you know, a little paper where you do all the multiplication and try to do as many as you could in a minute. Okay, maybe that's just where I was at school. I don't know. But some people, here's what I've learned. Some people are always learning, but they never get to a place of truth. Come on. I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning, but there's never in, no, no revelation uh, of truth in that process. And, and, and here's what we got to ask the Lord. Hey, when I'm reading this, Lord, reveal your truth to me. R reveal the revelation of the truth of what you're trying to speak to me so I can grow, right? I like that old, old <laughs> children's church song, read your Bible and pray every day and you'll what? Grow, 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 right? Read your, neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shriek, shriek, shriek. It's true. Simple, simple truth, very true. Uh, but there, there are a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge but lack, but lack the truth. Come on. Verse 8 says this, just as uh, 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 Jennies and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. He's talking about those who, who are speaking, these false teachers. Uh, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. So who is Jannes and Jambres? Anybody know who they are? They were the magicians in Pharaoh's courts that were there. And when Moses was there and Aaron threw down his rod and it became a snake, and they threw down their rod because they were of the occult, and their their rods became snakes. They duplicated what God had done. They 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 did that in that moment. And then when and uh, when Moses was there, and he caused he, the Lord through him caused the water to turn to blood. You know what else they did? These magicians they also duplicated that in some form or fashion. However, they did it, and and then then next the frogs come. You know, through Moses, the frogs come all over the land, and then Jannies and Jambres. Guess what they were able to do? They were able to counterfeit frogs coming in. It's pretty interesting, right? But here Paul compares those who live for a pleasure and that ignore the Lord, resist the truth of these true magicians of the occult and Pharaoh. So it's interesting. Look at verse 9. It says this. But they will not get very far, to just talking about these teachers, but also talking about these guys, for their folly will be 
plain to all. Everyone say folly will be plain to all. As was that of those two men. I want you to look at this. This is interesting to me. Why was their move folly? Well, every demonic thing that they did when the plagues had happened to Egypt, they, they, they mimicked Moses, what he was doing. It only made the situation worse, right? So, hey, we're going to, you know, all the, all the water in the Nile is going to turn to blood. Well, we're going to do the same thing. Well, guess what? Whatever bit of water that they had, they just turned to blood. How many know that that made it worse? Or these frogs come in. And so we're going we're gonna to counterfeit and make more frogs. Well, you know, nobody wants frogs all over their house, right? So they're making things worse. So here's what I'll tell you this. These d- demonically oppressed people of the occult, they only make things worse when they counterfeit what, what God is doing. Here's the thing. Now, I'm not getting all spooky here, but I will tell you this. There are people that are influenced by the occult that are demonically oppressed that can mimic miracles. They are influenced by demonic forces and spirits. See, here's the thing. Um, even psychics and, and tarot card readers and those of the occult, they can do things that sometimes seem miraculous. Well, you know my future. Well, you know, demons are pretty pretty crafty little, little people. But the truth is they will only make things worse for you. Listen to me. If you're involved in that, you need to shut that down and close that door. Uh, and they'll only make things worse for Satan. Here's the thing. Here's the deal with the devil. He never makes anything better. He comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's his ammo. So if, if he's involved, it's never, going, it's never going to be better. So um, contract breakers, pleasure seekers, false uh, spiritualists, lovers of, of, of itself, these are all indicators of the last day. And when I think about these things, it's easy to get discouraged, right? But it doesn't discourage me at all. I'm going to be honest with you. It doesn't discourage me at all because you know why? My hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone. I, I like this. I, I, wanna, I just want to share this with you. Bad times, two things here I want to take out of this. Bad times are made for good people. Bad times are made for good people. Uh, I'll be the first to say I hate trials. How many say, hey, pastor, I love a good trial. I didn't think very many people would raise their hand, right? I, I love a good persecution, pastor. I, I like it. I no, no, most of us are like, man, I, I don't want to be part of the trial. And oftentimes in our spiritual life, there are wrinkles in our life. But this is what I've learned. When I have a wrinkle in my shirt, you know how I get a wrinkle out of my shirt? I get out the ironing board. I get the iron. I heat it up. And through pressure and heat, I take care of the wrinkles on my shirt. Sometimes in our life, the Lord turns the pressure up. The Lord turns the heat up and says, hey, I'm working some things out in you and through you. How many can say, sometimes, uh, how many can say, hey, pastor, I've been there. uh, The Lord's working wrinkles out in me right now. And I'm not talking about your face, all right. He's working some wrinkles out in me spiritually, you know, you know, we're told that diamonds are formed under heat and pressure. And let me tell you something, whether it's financial, spiritual, relationally, the more the wrinkles are smoothed out, the more brilliant that Jesus' light shines through us in, in times of pressures and, and, and trials. James says this in James uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Enjoy that ironing and that heat process is what he's saying. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. How many want to be steadfast? Oh, I, I want to be steadfast. That means you're going to have to go through it, okay, to be steadfast. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. That means that if I want to get to that place where everything is complete and and everything is perfect and lacking nothing, I'm going to have to go through that pressing process and that heat sometimes. Here's the second thing. Good people are made for bad times. Okay? I said bad times are made for good people. Now good people are made for bad times. Think about this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three Hebrew boys, right? We know this story. 
They refused to bow down in a dark time to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. They took a stand when no one else would take a stand. And they, they sit there. It was dark around them. It didn't look good. And they were thrown into a fiery furnace. But the light of Jesus, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you know, shined through them in that dark moment. When, when Nebuchadnezzar looked down, he didn't see three. He saw how many? Four. The light shined through. Do me a favor, Tristan. I want you to do something. I want you to black that screen out behind me. And I want you to. Turn off the lights. I have a flashlight right here. And you really, you can see the light right now, right? Everyone see the light? I'm trying not to put it in your eyes. It's going to get dark in here in a second. Now, the brilliance of this light is a lot more now, right? In dark times, we shine brighter. We shine brighter in dark times, amen? How many want to shine bright for Jesus? Come on, let's, let's, will you just lift up your hands? You can turn the lights back on. Will you just lift up your hands and just say, hey, God, I want to shine bright for you in this dark, this dark world. In, in a time where things are, are polluted and perverse, listen to me. Listen to me, people of God. We can stand and be a bright light in a dark world. No matter how bad things get, hey, the darker it gets, the brighter that the bride of Christ should be. So everyone look at your neighbor and say, hey, be encouraged. So Paul does a flip here in verse 10, and, and he, he uh, counters basically everything that's bad. He's going he's gonna to encourage Timothy. So um, if you need a subheading on this, all scripture is breathed out by God. Verse 10 says this, you, however, have followed my teaching, talking about Timothy, uh, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my, my persecution and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch. At that place, Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So Paul notes a big contrast between his Christian testimony and the way of the false teachers. So nine qualities, real fast, nine qualities that Timothy uh, observed in Paul's life. Number one, the teaching, teaching of the word, teaching of the word, or, or my doctrine, teaching of Christ crucified. And dying to yourself, 1 Corinthians 9.16 says this, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That is what Paul said. Woe to me if I do not preach. If I'm not preaching the gospel, then I, I am messed up. So here's the next one. He, he talked about teaching, doctrine. Here's the second one, conduct. Conduct. How many could say, could, could make this bold statement that Paul says here in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How many could say, hey, I am a good imitator of Christ, so follow me. I want to be there. Follow me as I follow Christ. So, man, follow my conduct. Look, look, look how I live. Do, do what I do. Here's, here's another one. Here's number three, my aim in life, my goal. You know what my goal is, Timothy? Philippians 3.12, and this, these are all things that Paul wrote. Look at this, Philippians 3.12, it says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, one thing that I do, I love this, forgetting what lies behind me, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Young Timothy, you know what my aim in life is? To make Jesus famous, to tell every soul in the world that Christ can help them. Number four right here is faith. Everyone say faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not for yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Romans 1, 17 says this, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the, the righteousness shall live by faith faith or the just shall live by faith. So Paul Paul would tell Timothy, hey, I have kept the faith. I have stuck with it. Follow this. Here's another one, patience. Everyone say patience. Uh, you got to love Paul's patience. Hmm. You know what I like about Paul? He never rushed God. He never rushed God. He just trusted God. He allowed him to just move at God's pace for his life. Whatever that is, whatever situation in, I am what? Content. 
I'm good wherever you got me. God, you got me in prison, I'm content. You got me out preaching the gospel in Rome, I'm content. Whatever I'm doing, Romans 8.25 says this, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here's the next one, love. Everyone say love. This is a biblical love. Um, strive for this, Timothy, 1 Corinthians 13. I, I just did this recently. I, I quoted this at a wedding. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. We all know it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Woo, that sounds an awful lot like what I was just teaching, right? It is not irritable or, or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love and truth go hand in hand. Boy, that's good. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm showing you Paul. He made all these attributes about his life. But here's Paul quoting all these things that he said. Look at this steadfastness. Uh, you know, Paul was a dependable. How many like dependable people? How many like it when you can pick up the phone and say, hey, can you come help me? And someone's like, I, I will get there really fast. I, I'm on it. I, how many like people that are faithful? I love it. I love it. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's great when you know you can depend on somebody, right? It's terrible when you know you cannot depend on somebody. And then you have to depend on them. Scary, right? Second Timothy 1 says, that, and he exhorts to Timothy to stick with it in steadfastness. Here's the next one, persecution. Paul understood persecution and affliction. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body uh, the death of Jesus so that this life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So Paul's saying this, I'm going through persecution, but every time I get knocked down, God just keeps me going. And listen, I'm not out, I'm not destroyed, I'm still going. Here's the next one, suffering. Everyone say suffering. Sounds an awful lot like persecution, right? Two different things. And so Paul knew that suffering for the cause of Christ brings glory to God. Second Corinthians 4.17, for this light, Momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What he's saying here is this little bit of suffering that you're dealing with here on earth is going to seem so small when you get to heaven and you see the glory that God, God has in store for you. Verse 12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh-oh. Let's pull that one out of the uh, promise box, you know. I haven't seen that on a calendar lately. You, this is not one that you put your Christian calendar that says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Well, amen to that, Pastor, right? Sign me up, right? Here's a promise, you know. And um, you don't hear that preached about much. But yet Paul gives gives this the, uh, gives us the reason that, that there's times where we're going to be going through. And the reason is, you know, when we are going through, to not be surprised or discouraged by it. I tell you what, I, I have grown and matured a lot in, in my faith. And now, I'm, I, I typically don't let little things bug me like I used to when I was a younger Christian. I used to let little things bug me. I'm at that place now where it's like, you know what? Sometimes things are going to happen. Your situation, your persecution, your affliction, listen to me. Your situation, your persecution, your affliction can make you bitter or better. You get to decide. You get to decide that. So those who live godly need to be ready to face persecution. And maybe we don't see it here in the States like we do everywhere else. But if we were in China right now, we'd be hunkered down hiding. Verse 13. While the evil people are imposters, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. So the Greek word here for imposters, uh, it, it, and it can mean two things, swindlers or sorcerers. And the Greek word imposter there. So well, evil people and imposters, sorcerers or evil people and swindlers will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So these false teachers deceive others. But here's the thing. When false teachers, they deceive others, they mainly deceive themselves. So 
is what happened. So Timothy, here's the thing. Stay, stay and continue on what you've been taught and learned and are assured of. So um, stay away from false spirituality and stick with the basics so you're not swindled or deceived. Look at this next portion. says, knowing from whom you learned it. I like this part. Knowing from whom you learned. Speaking of, of sticking to the basics, Paul uses this word whom you learned it. And and the word whom is the plural form, whom. It means there's multiple people here. Paul most likely is alluding to Timothy's mother and grandmother as those who, in addition to himself, had impacted Timothy's life. Hey, go back to what your mama taught you. Go back to what your grandmother taught you. Go back to what I taught you. Listen to me. Moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas, aunts and uncles, you have the privilege of teaching the next generation behind you coming up. You can make an impact on them, whether you realize it or don't realize it. It's why it's why I won't quit on the kids or the youth of our church or this generation. It's why sometimes, man, do they get on our nerves? Yes. Sometimes you wonder, why are you being that way? Why are you, you know, but then I look at my generation and everybody, you know, in California, when I was growing up, everybody had all these piercings all over and all like crazy things. Like, why do we do the things that we, I don't know, but Jesus loves them. Here's the thing, I believe in them, and I want to show them that, that, that they have a foundation in Jesus Christ. So Timothy was a product of a godly mother and grandmother and a godly mentor. How many know that we need those in our lives? Verse 15. And now from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, such are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, Timothy, ever since you were a child, you've been taught the word. How many grew up in church? All right, for those of you who grew up in church, what a privilege you have and have had. Because here's the thing. I was a pastor's kid, and I love my heritage, but I had a front row seat to a whole lot of Jesus that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to have. And I say, thank you, Lord, for that. Some of you are a little, little maybe in your journey, you're, you're not, you know, maybe you've matured now, but maybe you started at a different level. It doesn't matter. Here's the thing. You can create a heritage for your family. You can create that heritage. And I love that. You know, it seems like when you're a PK, you're at the church every day of the week, it felt like when I was growing up. I'm like, Mom, Dad, why do I got to be here? Why do I got to be here? But you know what? I, I learned to be in the house of the Lord. I loved it. I love the stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I, I've heard hundreds, probably thousands of sermons and, and Sunday school lessons and children's church lessons that have made me who I am today. And I say, hey, thank you, Lord, for that firm foundation. Amen. Verse 16. I like this bit of scripture. All scripture is breathed. Out by God. Everyone go. <laughs> and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Greek word for all is a very interesting word. It means all. <laughs> complete. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> Um, if you have a King James Version, it probably reads inspired, right? I don't know. Yep, is that what it says? And some argue uh, that it should be rendered all Scripture, which is by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine. And the implication there is that some say that if Scripture is inspired and, and some isn't, we have to decide what's inspired and what isn't. But here's the problem with that doctrine and that line of thought is that makes me a judge over the Bible and not the Bible a judge over me. I'd rather fall under the headship of this. Come on now. And, and that's, that's a very dangerous doctrine that you're getting into. And here's the thing. I, I, I man, I'm very careful. Listen, rightly dividing the word of truth. I have to know what it says. I have to understand what God is trying to speak. And I'm always asking the Lord, Holy Spirit, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. Help me, help me, help me. Give me understanding. Let me, let me know what you're trying to tell us. And so and Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. Here in Timothy, we see all scripture is inspired 
and breathe that 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 we can be uh, that we can all do good work. So Paul is teaching in this verse that God breathed, uh, meaning God is actively involved in in revelation of His truth to the apostles, to the prophets who wrote it down. So while they're writing it, and you know they're the scribes, but God is here. You go Isaiah. Here you go John. Here you go Paul. He's breathing that into them and into their hearts. You say, well, you know, um, you know, uh, you know. many people say, well, man wrote the Bible. Well, inspired and breathed in by the Lord. Actually, man had to write it down, so we have it, right? But the author of the Bible is God himself using men who are inspired by the breath of God to write it down. So that means this. If, if we believe that, if this is God-breathed, it's the final authority. That's it. This is the infallible word of God. That's it. It's alive and it's well. Just read it. Uh, here's the thing. This, I challenge you. Read it. It'll change you. <laughs> read it. It'll change you. Quote it and demons will run. Come on, somebody. Read it. It'll change you. Quote it. Demons will run. How did Jesus get rid of the devil when he was tempting him? He, he quoted the word of God. Just live it and you'll be free. So four things I want to point out here real fast. I promise. I promise we'll be fast. Number one, that the Bible does for us. Number one, doctrine. Everyone say doctrine. And doctrine is this. It's teaching. Paul highlights correct teaching first. It's interesting to me. Hey, you got to rightly divide the word of truth. Luke also emphasizes this to the Jerusalem church first. He's saying, hey, you got to rightly divide the word of truth. Doctrine is important. Here's the second thing that the Bible does for us. Reproof. What is reproof? Conviction. I said this a couple weeks ago, and I think I said it last week. If you read this Bible and it does not offend you at some point, because this thing, man, sometimes rubs me the wrong way. When I got a bad attitude and God says, you should love your neighbor, it gets a little bit like, Lord, Really? You're going to be speaking that to me right now? It's, and, and that word conviction is not rebuke. It's, it's demonstrating truth beyond dispute. Here's the next one, correction. Everyone say correction. Refers to setting something straight. How many know sometimes we need correction? I have kids. Sometimes they need correction. Amen? As the people of God, sometimes I need correction. God, I've got a heart issue. I've got an attitude issue. Lord, I, I need correction. This word of God can correct me. Here's the last one, instruction. Everyone say instruction or training. Refers to the, to the process of, of training a child. So doctrine refers to knowledge and information. Reproof, correction, and instruction involve a life change. Okay, let me say that again. Doctrine refers to knowledge and information, okay? There's a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of information. Reproof, correction, and instruction involve a what? A change in life. Knowledge that does not change one's life is useless, right? Living without understanding of God, uh, who God is, and, and what he expects out of us is dangerous. Verse 17, I like this. It says the scripture will make a believer complete, meaning capable or proficient. Or fully prepared. How many want to be capable, proficient, and fully prepared for what God has for you? That's what the Word of God will do. The person who masters the Word of God, and I'm, 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 I'm not talking being in charge of it, but but understands it fully and gets involved in it, will never lose his or her way. And so Paul emphasizes the link between the knowledge of God's Word and good works. And I'm, I'll end with this statement: right doctrine should produce right practice. That's it. <laughs> I, I know that, that's a lot to, lot to soak in. I, um, I don't know about you, but I want to be a good student of God's word. I want to do what he tells me to. And even in the times that we live, I want to be a light that shines for Jesus. Will you just bow your heads with me? Lord, Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word tonight. God, thank you for its truth that changes us, that, Lord, it just it convicts. Lord, it reproofs, God, it, it directs, it corrects at times. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would be students of the word of God, Lord, that we would 
uh, dig diligently, Lord, that the Spirit of God would begin to breathe what you're speaking and what through the Word of God into our lives, God, that it would become so real to us, Lord, that when we walk it out, Lord, that we are walking in liberty and freedom, Lord, and that we are doing the things that you've called us to do with the purposes that you've called us to do. God, I just pray for every person that's here tonight. I pray for strength, God, for the rest of this week. God, I pray, I just lift up everybody in this house. Um, God, just give them peace and joy, Lord, for the remainder of this week. Be with us to the next appointed time. And God, will give you all the praise and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You are-